This podcast is brought to you by NeuroCreative Studio, the number one provider of one-to-one applied neuroscience coaching and development programs designed to enhance your creativity and effectiveness. Find out more at neurocreative.studio. You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Today's guest is here to tackle the business topic that induces almost as much dread as sales. We are, of course, talking about getting your legal house in order. With his 13-phase business legal life cycle, Jeremy Stretton specializes in educating business owners on their legal risks and making legal advice as accessible as possible to all business owners. In this episode, we talk about the key legals you need to look at from day one, the simplest way to play the name game, and of course, we take a walk through those 13 phases. And don't forget, if you head over to check the blog or show notes, you'll find some of the resources that Jeremy has created for small businesses. Jeremy, I know that kind of legal issues tend to get pushed down the the priority list a bit for people when they're starting out. It's not necessarily the first thing that people are thinking about. But I love this term that you've got, the um, the business legal life cycle. Can you give us a, a sort of an overview of what that life cycle is and where people should really be starting or when they should start thinking about this stuff. Yeah, thanks, Deidre. I mean, the truth of it is that you've got to start thinking about it from the beginning, uh, but most people don't. And most people don't because they find lawyers scary. You know, Mm. (laughs) lawyers have a bit of a reputation. They've either been scary, expensive, and, you know, they talk in big terms that, that other people don't understand. And so really, you know, the life cycle is designed to help people to really understand the legal concepts in, a, in an easy-to-understand manner. And uh, there's 13 phases uh, about what, what steps you need to take in your business from a legal perspective and when you need to take them and who you need to talk to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of one of the uh, the issues that I see is that a lot of lawyers try and do everything for their client, a lot of accountants try and do everything for their client, and they don't work together with, with different consultants. So I'm very um, passionate about making sure that everyone works together to get the best result for their clients. So it really depends on the type of business. So if they're a true startup business, then phase one is conception, where you're doing the things to before you start the business, and then phase two is startup, that they would go through those phases. Uh, what I find, though, is that often people... Even when we talk to them and we go through things, they go and start their business any, anyway. Because you know, th- these days, you, know, you and I are talking to each other from the opposite sides of the world. It's it's amazing mm-hmm. the technology and the way that uh, you, know, you can start a business with an, an internet connection, an idea, and you know, a laptop computer. And so people just go and start their business. So really, it, the, the time to do it is from the beginning. And I think people should do that then, uh, but so often they don't. And so uh, the life cycle has been deliberately developed with that in mind, with, with it in mind for people to... Uh, you know, whether they're in startup or whether their business has been existing for a while to go through and go, okay, what 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 am I missing from um, the legal aspects of my business? And what do I need to do to plug those risks and make sure that those risks don't come and attack um, your business? Because there's so many things that people can solve that, 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 that they don't realize that they can. Okay, well, so let's let's just look then at what the 
very basic and foundational things that people need to have from day one are in in your um in your view and your experience yeah so um great question so i'd start with the you know it it, it always starts with the goal what are you trying to achieve because Mm -hmm. that will dictate everything else that you need to to do and the amount of times that i've helped people down the track two or three years down the track in their business and that they never actually thought about what they were trying to achieve Mm -hmm. meant that their whole legal structure was was incorrect to start with so once you know that, then you know what type of entity that you want to start your business with. You know, is, is it a partnership, a, a, an LLP? Is it a company? Is it, you know, w- you know, do you want a trust structure? What are the what are the structures that you need? And that will be largely dictated to by what you're trying to achieve in the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they, they hear people say things, you know, in Australia we call them barbecue. We call it barbecue advice because people go to a barbecue and they hear that their friends started a business this way. So they go and start their business that way, thinking that it's okay, but it may not actually fit with their goals. So really thinking through what are you trying to achieve to make sure that you have your your structures right, uh, mm. making sure then then you've got all your insurances, all of the uh, all of the things in place for your business to protect you, so that if something does go wrong, then 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 they actually protect you. Uh, they're probably the the main things. Thinking thinking through a name as well, uh, you know. No one real my, my business coach always says no one really cares about your name but you and your mother. Uh, but you still need to have a business name and something that people will identify with and making sure that you've selected something. So they're the they're the really key things at right in the startup phase. Mm. And then when we when we move into phase three, which is initial clients, it's actually making sure that we engage with our clients the the right way in a in a legal way so that we can enforce that agreement in the future. Because what I find happens, Deidre, is that people they engage with a client early on and they'll, they'll they'll start doing work with the client. They'll start, you know, you know, they're all excited. I've been there. I've started, I've started uh, multiple businesses and it's all exciting. You get in there and then two or three years down the track, you haven't actually documented what your agreement is with your client. Mm. And so then uh, everyone's, you know, vision changes, what, they, what they're trying to achieve changes and everyone's got their own opinion about what the agreement said. <laughs> and yeah. if it's not documented uh, early on, then, that's where we see so many people fall down yeah. is, is not in that in that early stage documentation for their business. Yeah, I guess this is where, you know, um, people's expectations, if they're not communicated clearly, can really trip them up. Right. It's um, it's like I thought you said you were going to do that or I understood that that's what you meant. And unless we have this very, very clear and this this isn't just about you know a company i mean this is interpersonal stuff as well this doesn't have to be to do with a, a company at all <laughs> this is really really um where people can just go down a, a terrible hole mm. yeah and and i think um, communication is key and having those discussions is is you know re- a really important part one part that i skipped over was uh, and, it's, and it's on the same vein is if you have a business partner actually mm. sitting down and having an agreement with them so that everyone understands the same as with your clients. Who's doing what? Yeah. What are the expectations? I've, I've got a client just just last night, my time I was talking to, who had gone into business with someone. They hadn't done an agreement with them. And now the person they thought they were going into business with is a, it, isn't the same person that they thought they were mm. as far as like the business and, and all the rest of it. And they haven't properly documented all their expectations. So now we've got to go back and rebuild that. And mm. we will, and, and we'll be able to, to do it properly. It just becomes harder to do it after the fact than if you do it at the beginning. And uh, if you have that communication up front, what are you trying to achieve? What, what Who's doing what? Yeah. It just makes the whole relationship smoother, as well as helping legally as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it, 
You know, thinking about that, though, as well, you know, you know, when you start, you're at one place and then things move quite quickly and dynamically, especially in a new business, a startup world and so on. So how do you keep track of the changing needs within these agreements? Because people will definitely start out with one vision or one path that they think they're going to follow. And then, you know, suddenly there's a change of direction or a new opportunity or something else happens or somebody's got new life responsibilities, especially in the stage where you're maybe not getting paid a lot for things. Mm. So how, how do you how do you uh, work with that? I like to think of, say, the agreements that we're talking about here, like agreements with business partners and even mm. agreements with clients. I like to think of them as a disagreement. They're to govern what happens if the parties disagree at mm. a certain point in time and how and how you manage that relationship. So it's more about more about making sure that, okay, if there is a fight between everyone, what mm. actually happens? Um, another way to deal with it too, Deidre, is to actually meet regularly with your lawyer and and, and just review it every year or two to make sure that it's on point of what you want the agreement to say because mm-hmm. you're right things do change and people's do, circumstances do adjust and so you want to make sure that it's up to date so one don't get too detailed in the agreement as far as who's you know who's 100% doing everything defining the main roles but then also really setting out what happens if there's a disagreement between them so that you can resolve that disagreement without going to it through expensive courts and lawyers and, and all that mm. fun stuff that we lawyers find fun, but no one else does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad someone finds it fun. <laughs> but I, I suppose one of the other things that maybe might put people off doing something like this to start with is the fact that, you know, you, you referred to lawyers being scary, but I think mm. maybe the uh, the legal documents are even scarier. So how can we work with those in a way that doesn't make people lose the will to live as soon as they see them? <laughs> I hope they don't lose the will to live. I'm oh, sure, I have sure done people for do. several times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that one of the, the big misconceptions out there is that legal documents need to have these big words and these scary legal you know, Latin terms and all the rest of it. They don't. They, a good agreement is written in plain English. Mm. A good a good contract is written in plain English so that everyone understands what it is that they're agreeing to. There's no fancy words. They're just not necessary. And that's part of what I'm saying that people find lawyers scary because we use big words. We're taught all these big words in university and judges use, use these big words. So we use the big words. And most people go, what are you talking about? Like just, I found a shift when I went into practice for myself. Talking in a plain English way actually meant that people understood it better, which gave you a better result overall. So mm. I think that the, the the key there is just write it in plain English. Make sure that everyone understands it and then you don't have that problem. And when everyone understands it, then, yeah, it's, it's really easy and really simple. Mm. So if, if we just go back a little bit to an example of, let's just narrow it down a little bit. We've got a sole trader who is setting up a service business because typically a lot of people who are moving, you know, from one thing to another will be in that position. Um, so mm. if you were to say, right, OK, there are three things that I absolutely would recommend that you do to set yourself upright. What would the three things be to protect themselves and their business going forward? So the first thing is is to really work out that goal so that you can set up the right structure and sit down with an accountant and a lawyer and work out what's the best the best tax structure for you. That's what the accountant does. And what's the best uh, structure to protect you legally mm. with the lawyer. That would be the first thing I'd say. The second thing is 
make sure that if you need any insurance, if uh, you know, if the, if the business is is one way where you can get insurance, some some you can't. Uh, but you know, if if it is one that you can, definitely go and get that. And the third thing, as I said before, is really making sure that you have a solid uh, agreement or disagreement that you can use with your clients to set out the ba- the basic terms of who's mm-hmm. of what you're doing, what what you expect from them, and then what happens if you disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're the three big ones that I see people get wrong, Deidre, and the ones that I think people need to get um, need to get right to set themselves up for success later on. There's heaps of other things that they could be doing mm. as well, uh, but they're the they're the ones where I see people just fall down big time. Um, and you know, if you're going to start to bring on um, employees, then that's a whole other mm, kettle of mm, fish. Making mm. sure that you've got all the right documentation in place with them for the same reasons that we've said around clients and business partners. If you don't have the terms of the agreement set out properly, then you're going to fall into trouble. Okay. Well, so, um, you know, a lot of people these days, we've got a, obviously a very online world and people are doing their business on sometimes almost exclusively online. So what are the things that they need to consider for that aspect of it, for their websites and so on? We hear a lot about cookies and GDPR and all these other things. How big of an, a thing is that to consider? And where do people stand in terms of not necessarily working with people in the same geographic region as them? Because um, the law changes, does it not, from from region to region? How do we work with that? Yeah, so so I think that the, the best approach is is you look at the jurisdiction that has the most stringent laws, and which in this case is either uh, Europe with the GDPR or uh, California has has a similar law as well, and you make sure that you comply with that law. Mm especially if you're an online business that might sell around the world because th- there, are, there are all these complicated laws about uh, it's called private international law, which is all about what happens when people enter into, enter into contracts in different countries, and there's no straightforward answer. There's no one, okay. there's no one, uh, there's no one to say that you know, no, no country's law trumps another com- country's law. There's no, there's no simple thing. So uh, I always say that comply with the, the most that you need to comply with, whether it's the GDPR. I think that you know, we're recording this in July 2022, at least in my experience, most people are kind of on top of that, and most website developers are on top of making sure that their clients comply with that. Uh, will there be other laws that become more restrictive? Probably. Um, you know, uh, some governments won't be able to help themselves, and if you're going to practice in that in that area, or you could potentially have clients in that area, then you're best off off um, doing that. You know, it's funny, Deidre. I, I was in. I, I mentioned to you, I just got back from London a couple of weeks ago, and I noticed on my iPad every website I went to, I had to click the GDPR acknowledgement every single day. And since I've been back in Australia, it's made me do the same thing where it never did that before because it's recognising the fact that I've been overseas. So it's it's really um, ramping up the the compliance with those laws. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just, because, just because I was there for two weeks. So I think that, you know, my, what I advise my clients when they uh, you know, come to me with those kind of questions is whatever, if, if you're going to be a global business, just comply with the most stringent regime in the Western world, you know, where you're going to be selling, um, and then make sure that, that it complies with that. And at the moment, that is the GDPR, um, to making sure that you do that. Uh, this, you've got to have privacy policies in place as well. Uh, if you're going to be collecting data from people, uh, you need to tell people what you're going to do with that data. Australia has some pretty strict laws on that, and, and so do a lot of other countries. So it's really around uh, making sure that they're broad enough to cover all the countries that you're going to deal with, ensuring that you, you don't want to fall foul of those those laws because they end up finding you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there was something else you mentioned earlier as well about, uh, and, and I know that a lot of 
you know, new entrepreneurs and startups and so on do give a lot of time and attention to what they're going to call their company. Um, and sometimes, you know, they'll they'll spend all this time brainstorming or whatever, and then they'll pick a name and they'll go and uh, look for the domain and find that it's it's gone. So when you choose these things, when you choose a name or whatever, is there something that you have to do to protect that as being yours mm. to um, to stop that being infringed? Should somebody else have that same great idea as you have? Yeah, so so you can register a trademark. So any any business name is a trademark, and you can register that as being you and you owning that that trademark. Uh, what I'd say is, in a startup business, it's probably not something that you need to spend the money on straight away. It it it, it can be expensive, and often I find, Deidre, that people actually change their their business name after a year or two in business. Yeah. Life. You know, my law firm that I have, we've changed our name twice, actually three times now. Um, it's so so you know, uh, you don't you don't have to register it to protect it. Uh, but if you're worried that someone else might come in and try and and use the name, then you definitely go and do it. Just be sure that that's the name you're going to use uh, early on, because registering a trademark. Is, is a whole process. There's legal fees. Could you, you get a lawyer to do that? There's registration fees. Again, you can protect it around the world, but that gets very expensive, pretty costly. Yeah, sure. So there's a there's a you know as a, as an Australian, I can register my trademark here. I mean, I can register it in anywhere anywhere in the world, and then you can register in different countries uh, from there. Uh, but that becomes more and more expensive as you go. Mm-hmm. So it's not doesn't need to be. For everyone, like you mentioned before, you know, someone starting up a business as a professional, you know, where it's just them, I wouldn't bother registering a trademark in that in that situation. Mm. Um, especially if you use your name in the business, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother. I think that it's it's only for if you're going to build a business of any sort of scale, make sure that, and that's why uh, I've put the phase five is protecting intellectual property. So we have phase one is conception, phase two is startup. Phase three is bringing on employees. Sorry, phase three is initial clients. Phase four is bringing on employees. Mm. Then we look at protecting your IP mm. because you don't really have anything to protect at that stage and it becomes cost prohibitive if you go doing it and then you change your mind yeah. <laughs> after yeah. a year or two. So so absolutely there, there are things you can do. I just think take a bit of time before you go spending um, and we're investing the money in, in doing that. So is it is it more practical or more sensible to just, get the domain name or something that something yes, similar ab- that you want. Yeah. Mm. Ab- absolutely. Just get the domain name first. Uh, once you have the domain name, someone can't go and register that domain name as a trademark because you already, you already own that, 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 um, that domain name. Uh, so, you know, th- and people can't stop you from running your business. If they go and register a trademark with, with a similar name, they can't necessarily stop you because you've already been trading it under that name. And so I think just getting the domain name, is enough mm. to start with. And then once you've built a product and, and a business and it's starting to, to generate a proper income and you can see this is what you want to do for, for a good period of time, then go and register the trademark. Mm. So we're up to stage five. What happens between five and 13? <laughs> so five um, and so four, five and six. And six is really consolidation. It's around consolidating your business. Uh, in, in our life cycle, they go down the curve. And because that's because you've got to consolidate, you know, once you build your business, you've got to consolidate and there's going to be some dip that you're going to have in your business. Mm. It might be a dip in income, might be a dip in time. There'll be something that happens there. But it's all about building the foundations through the first six phases to then in phase seven look at expansion. Uh, do you want to expand? Expansion is not for everyone, uh, but expansion, franchising, licensing, 
uh, expanding their business in some way is phase seven. And then we get into the other ones of phase eight is estate planning. Because if you haven't done it earlier, and you should do it earlier, but most people don't, <laughs> when you get to phase eight, you have to do it at that, at that stage because you've got something really important to protect. Phase nine is investing in property. So this is you know, actually investing the profits that you're making uh, from your business. Uh, phase 10 is litigation because what we've found is no matter how great your business is, if you if you build a business you know, through all this stuff, at some point there's going to be some sort of litigation. And then phase 11 is sale of the business, which is the high point of our life cycle. So our first 10 phases are all about building the business. So you get the peak return on phase 11, which is sale. Phase 12 is retirement and phase 13 is winding up of the of the entity or insolvency, which we hope people don't get to. <laughs> but if they do, then, then that's, that's where they well, go. Well, maybe they're like, you know, overachievers and they get to that stage really early. <laughs> Um, so that is that's a really that's a whistle stop tour of this but i think it gives uh it's a great little overview of um the sort of things that are in the future for people as they're setting out so thank you very much for that jeremy i really appreciate it now i know that you've got some resources and so on that people can tap into and find out a bit more and and start to get their thinking going on this where should they go to to find those Thank you. Um, and thank you for having me on. I, I really enjoyed our, our chat and I hope people have got um, a lot out of it. If they go to businesslegallifecycle.com slash ambition incubator, all is one word, uh, they'll come to a landing page that we've created, especially for as a thank you for, for having me on this on this show. Uh, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of free resources uh, and there's a bunch of free resources on our website. And also we have a, a assessment that people can take to find out where they are in their life cycle and identify their legal risks. Normally that's ninety-seven uh, pounds, and for listeners it'll be half price, uh, so forty-seven fifty. There's a code and instructions on on how Wonderful. to do that and how to how to um, claim that that um, discount from us. So that does sound like a very good investment, basically, in getting your head straight on this and um, understanding where it is that you are and where you need to be moving to. Really appreciate that, Jeremy. Thank you again, and we'll see you at the other side. Thanks so much. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines, and I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. 